Amen. If you have your Bible, let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and we're going to keep going in Romans. Um, Some of you were shocked at how many verses we covered last week. You didn't say it, but you were. Uh, So we've been going through and taking our time as sometimes is appropriate to just slow down and uh, soak in certain pieces of the Word of God. So Romans chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 12 through 14 today. If you don't have a Bible, then please pick up one of these black Bibles that's on the end of each pew. In that Bible, it's on page 942. And if you don't have a Bible at all for yourself, then take that one home. It's our gift to you. We want you to have it. Um, Romans 5, verses 12 through 14, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death, death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For in sin, excuse me, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, as we're thinking about the nature of mankind, that's where the scripture takes us today, is to think about the nature of mankind, and it can be kind of depressing. Now, sure, there, there are some, uh, some great things that you see mankind doing that are great reflections of the image of God and things that people are able to accomplish, but, but then we, we see just also so much of the depths of sin. And we would look around at the world and we'd say, why, why is the world like this? Why can people be like this? Why are people like this? And why is there so much suffering in the world and pain and murder and war and horrible things? Why, why is there, get this, why is there death? Why is there death? And why is there death for everyone? Usually comes to people who are old, but death comes for people who are young too. Death comes for vicious criminals. Death comes for faithful saints. Death comes for willful, willful sinners. And death sometimes comes even to babies. And we would look around and we'd say, why? Well, the why comes in the how. It's answered here of how sin came into the world. It's important to know how these things came to be. And the reason it's so important is because then we can have assurance of how it can be reversed. That's what this is about. As we come to these verses, just remember that the beginning of verse 12 is a therefore, all right? Anytime we come to a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for, right? So today we'll see some things that are pretty depressing about mankind. But you also have to remember that this is in the middle of a section of Romans that's there to give us assurance, When it says, therefore, it's going back all the way to the previous 11 verses. This big section that started in chapter 5, verse 1, goes through chapter 5, verse 11, that's so good, so hopeful. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Those of us who have faith in Jesus have peace with God through Jesus. All the way to verse 11 where it says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
We needed peace with God because we were not at peace with God. We were enemies of God, as it says in those verses that we looked at last week. But through Jesus, he reconciles us. He takes hated and hating enemies and shows us love and brings us in, makes us his children. That assurance of salvation for believers that started at Romans 5.1 is, is the beginning of a big section that runs all the way to the end of chapter 8. And so as we see these things that are, <clears throat> excuse me, these things that are not so flattering about mankind and about the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, we need to keep in mind that this is here in order to boost our assurance. What, what's happening right now is that Paul is setting the darkness of sin against the diamond of Jesus so that the gospel would shine that much brighter, as Steve Lawson always puts it. So this is put here so that we can say, yes, we were absolutely dead in our trespasses, in our sin nature that we inherited from Adam, but Jesus can make us absolutely alive. Just as we all came into the world united to Adam, in sin and in death, everybody who comes into union with Jesus through faith will have his righteousness and his life for all eternity. So let's look first, and let's see if you're following along on the back of your bulletin. There's four points. The first one is this, sin and Adam. This is just the first half of verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Sin came into the world through one man. Now, I have to deal. we got to deal with all of the words and the phrases that are here because every single word of Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for us and it's there for a purpose. So we dealt with the therefore. We're saying the therefore is because it already told us we have assurance in Christ if we believe in him. And the just as, what's that getting at? Just as sin came into the world through one man. And you may notice or you may not have noticed that it trails off in a way. You would think that there would be a just as, and then that there would be a so also. Just as sin came into the world through one man, so also blank. And it kind of goes into different directions logically. But he picks it back up. If you want to know where is the just as going, go to verse 18. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's where it's going. Just as we die in Adam, we can live in Christ. But the first thing he's going to drive home, the first thing we need to know, the first thing you need to know today, is that sin came into the world, it came into mankind and human nature through one man, through Adam. What is that talking about? He mentions here sin. He doesn't say sins. He says sin. This is the idea broadly of sin. It has not to do just with individual sins that are committed, but with the sin nature and with sin in general that's come, the idea of sinning against God. If you want to know what sin is, well, it's transgressing against what God wants. Sin is any lack of conformity to or any transgression of the law of God. God is holy. God is perfect. Everything about God is just glorious. And, 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 and so what sin is, 
Is, is, is this darkness that would cover up the light of his glory by turning and going against him in what God wants for us or what God wants not for us, to turn against those things. That idea of turning against God, that darkness that only makes sense when you know about the light, it came through one man, came through Adam. Now, when it says it came through one man, death came into the world, sin came into the world through one man, some of you know exactly where this happened. Some of you, maybe for the first time in your life, heard it read at the beginning of the service, where it happened in Genesis 3, that God had given a command to, to Adam. The, Adam, by the way, if you don't know who Adam is, the first human. He's your great, 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 great grandpa, okay? I don't know how many greats there are, okay? But the first human, Adam, he was put in the Garden of Eden, and God commanded him one command. He said, you can eat from any tree here. There's some good trees, some good food. He said, don't eat from that one tree. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And of course, Satan came into the garden. Satan tempted his wife, Eve, the second human being ever made. Eve believed Satan. Adam apparently believed Satan too when Satan said, you will not surely die. There's almost a feeling there like, well, this is just a little thing. And God just has some, some other plan. You, you, I, don't, I don't know if you ever thought about how little that first sin seems in contrast to some of the other sins that we see today, right? Maybe even in contrast to some of the sins in your own life that you wonder, how could a God ever forgive me for blank, right? It just seems so little. All kinds of good food. Why would God say I can't eat from that tree? Here's the point. The point's not what a big, bad-looking sin it was. It's not like you could look at that and say, well, at least he didn't murder 16 people. There weren't 16 people to murder at that point, by the way. But the point is this. God, the holy God, had commanded, this is what you're to do, and this is what you're not to do. And he'd said clearly, if you do this, you will die. What did he do? He did it. He sinned. And it says here, sin came through one man. Now, some of you would look and say, well, sin didn't start with Adam. It started with Eve. She sinned first. Well, yeah, that's true. And that does matter. That's brought up elsewhere in the Bible and various points made from that. But the point here is Adam's the first human. He is the prototypical, very first created in God's image man. At one point, he was all of mankind. There he is, all humanity, sinning in the garden. Some of you would also say, well, before Eve sinned, Satan sinned. Yes, that's true. That's true. But we're talking about how did sin come to man? Well, it came through the one that we call sometimes, the way we refer to it is that Adam is our federal head. That's the way it's being described here, is that all of us have a relationship, whether you wanted it or not. You've got a relationship with your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, Adam. He's our head. He's our first parent. Adam and Eve are our first parents. And because of his sin, sin came into the world. One way to think about it is 
Every single bit of humanity was there in the garden sinning. And humanity is sinful ever since. Now, some of you, I just, I just got to say this real quick. If you don't believe in a historical Adam, then you're going to have a lot of trouble with what we're going through in Romans 5 here. If you, you may think to yourself, well, I, you know, I can just take everything in the Bible except for the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Those seem a little bit far-fetched to me. Those seem a little bit unscientific. And so because of that, I'm going to just say, well, I, you know, I believe the rest of it, and I trust in Jesus for the salvation of my sins, but why would I believe in a historical Adam when so many smart people say, no, that's not where humanity came from. It came through this millions of years process where different, uh, different species evolved into other species, and then eventually there came about this species that we recognize as, as human. Well, let me put it this way. If you believe that, you're not necessarily a lost person. You may be just a very confused, saved person. But that's something that is important to get straight. Because if you don't believe in the actual, literal, historical Adam, then you're going to have a really rough time believing Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And you're going to have a really rough time understanding what it means that we were united to Adam and sin, and that, that in the same way that we can now be united to Christ in righteousness. There is so much here. There, this is about the historical Adam, and if you don't have that straight, you need to get that straight. And if you can't imagine to yourself, how could it possibly scientifically be that there would be just one human being created in full form out of the dirt, out of nowhere, apart from evolution. How could that be? Well, there's an awful lot of stuff written on that out there. But I suggest, my, my number one suggestion is just go to AnswersInGenesis.com and start searching. They've got a ton of stuff that's really, really helpful on that. But the purpose of that is not just so that we can be on the same page about science. Uh, the purpose of that is to say, hey, this has major implications for the gospel itself. Are we united to Adam or are we united to Christ? That's the question here. But sin came into the world through this one man, through the one man, Adam. This is all mankind. This is something where we need to look at this and we need to know that's something worth having our hearts broken over. You may say to yourself, well, Adam's sin in the garden, that's so far removed from me personally. In a way, yes. You weren't born until a long, long time after that. And, and you were not physically there. You were not the one who reached out your hand and took that forbidden fruit and physically ate it. You're not the one who realized that you were naked and covered out for yourself with fig leaves and ran and hid from God and blamed your wife and all the other things that Adam did. You're not the one who was there, but in a sense, yes, you were. Because this was all mankind. This was all mankind. And when we look at that, when we look at the way that sin came into the world, we need to mourn over that. And we need to, those of us who trust in Jesus, we need to thank God for forgiving us even for Adam's sin, which was counted to us, as we're going to see in this next part. We know it was counted to us because death started spreading, not just to Adam, not just to Eve, but to all mankind. 
Here's what it says in the second half of verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. I do want to just deal with one little thing grammatically here. In the ESV, it says, because all sinned. In the uh, King James, it says, for that all sinned. Uh, The best way to describe it is that that's just a really weird grammatical conjunction right there. And so if you were to look at it and say, because all sinned, and then you start thinking, well, it's not until someone actually willfully commits sin that then they could die, well, then you're going to have all kinds of other problems, and that's not exactly what it says. But there's a connection here between sin and death. And that connection spread to all mankind. And what Paul is saying here is you can see that all mankind were became sinful from that very day because all mankind since then have been subject to death. There's this relationship between sin and death that God declared in the Garden of Eden. He said, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You're as good as dead on the day you eat of it. And yes, they eventually did die. They were as good as dead that day. They lost their original righteousness. They fell from righteousness into sin, from holiness to sin. They fell from from happiness into misery, being subject to death. And that has spread to all mankind ever since then. It says later in in Romans, in chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Or you might put that the other way around. Death is the wages of sin. Here's Paul's point. You can see that the sinful nature and the guilt of sin spread to all mankind because the wages of sin has come to all mankind. People die, and this is why. The reason death came into the world, the reason death continues in the world, is because of sin. Now, you might ask, do we die because Adam sinned, or do we die because we sinned? The answer to that is yes. Yes. From the moment that we willfully commit sin, that's the sin nature that we inherited from Adam just working itself out. But we also see here the fact that death has spread to all mankind, that it's not just about whether or not you willfully sinned, but we are guilty of Adam's first sin as well. One way to think of it, one way to put it theologically, is that Adam's sin has been imputed to us. Adam's sin has been counted to all of Adam's descendants. How can that be fair? Well, I'll ask you this question. How can it be fair for Christ's righteousness to be counted to us? It's the same kind of thing, guys. We are either in Adam or we're in Christ. If you're in Adam, then his sin is yours. But if you're in Christ, then his righteousness is yours. Hmm. You need to see, too, that when it says this, it says, death spread to all men because all men sinned. There's not any distinction given here between different categories of mankind. That's actually pretty significant in the book of Romans because the book of Romans deals a lot with the relationship between Jew and Gentile. Most of it is just showing that Jew and Gentile both, no matter whether you were part of the people of Israel or or part of the people of 
Jersey City or wherever, you know, that, that you need to be saved by the same Savior through the same gospel. The same gospel that you have to recognize our sin. We have to repent. We have to believe in Jesus. It's the same Savior. But here, he's, he's not even going into that at all. It's just such a blanket statement. He's saying, all men because all sin. Death spread to all men because all sin. This is Jew. This is Gentile. This is every ethnicity. This is every tribe, every language, every nation. It says in Acts 17.26, it says this, God made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. You see that here. We all descended from Adam. We've all inherited his sin. We've all inherited his death. It's just the way that it works. Every bit of humanity, every one of us, has fallen into sin and death. We have the same sin nature. We have the same problem before God. We have the same solution for all people of all nations. Now, that plays out in some significant ways and some, some debates that are raging in our own country right now. Uh, you know, you hear these things. I had never heard, maybe I should have for whatever reason, but I don't think I had ever heard the term critical race theory until a little bit less than two years ago. And now we hear that everywhere. And everybody who uses that term seems to have a different definition of it, depending on just the way that it hits them on various days. And, and so we're not going to get into those definitions or anything like that. But I will say, I will say this, that there are actual systems out there that would say that certain categories of people, by virtue of the color of their skin, are in the category of oppressed, and that other people, by virtue of the color of their skin, are in the category of oppressor that there would be different categories of sin natures on the basis of those kinds of things. Now, that's not a totally new thing, because that same kind of categorization of people into those ways of looking at them have been used in various places in the world for various reasons. This is a very American way of looking at things, but you know, in, in the past in Europe, you had the class systems that were looked at this way. In India, you have the caste systems that are looked at this way that there are people who are higher and who are lower, people who have some sins and other people who are incapable of having those sins because of the status that they have in society. Well, the Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible knows mankind. And every single one of us has the same problem before God, which is sin. Regardless of what categories you might classify yourself into, you are a sinner before God who needs to receive the righteousness of Christ by faith. Now, it's possible that you have actually in your life treated people unjustly. I have good news for you. You can repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And it's possible that you in your life you actually have been oppressed and treated unjustly. Those are real categories in the Scripture. And I have good news for you. You can repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will forgive you. And he does care about what's been done to you. He really does care. 
So we don't classify people into these, these different categories of these people are able to commit these sins because they're in this category, and these people are not able to commit these sins because they're in this category, those sorts of things. What we want to do, we want to look at our society with real eyes. We want to know that, yes, it actually is possible for there to be a bad system that needs to be changed. It's okay to say that. But, guys, we don't want to veer into an area where we say some people, by nature of their category of birth, are naturally more sinful than others. It's just not the case. Or naturally less sinful than others. Because that's not the case either. This is part of, part of the, just the shocking nature of the gospel. Part of the shocking nature of the Bible is that the Bible would extend forgiveness and grace even to those who were powerful oppressors like Paul was when he was on the road to Damascus. And that the Bible would call people to repentance of their sin, even when they are oppressed like the people of Israel were when they were in Egypt. We all need this Savior because we all stand sinful before God. Another thing that we can draw out of this is that we ought not to be Pelagians. Now, what is a Pelagian? <laughs> Do a little history lesson. There was a guy named Pelagius. It was back in the 3rd and 4th century AD. He, he was a church leader in England, which was kind of one of these far-off spots at that point. And he uh, taught his followers the system that they started spreading, which was the idea that people are born able to do good or able to do bad. This, this idea that, that Adam's sin and the way that Adam's sin would affect people would, would be more through something like influence and example than actual nature. So this would be the idea that, that you're born like, almost like a blank slate, and you just have to try to avoid being too badly led astray by the sins of your parents and your friends, something like that. This is actually, uh, it's called Pelagianism. It was judged by the, the church to, to be heresy, and it is heresy. And it, Augustine was the great fighter against that, but, but you need to know that it's the great heresy of the United States of America in 2022 as well, is this idea that all mankind come into the world neutral or possibly even good. So that the quest of mankind would be to, to, to look into ourselves to figure out what our authentic self from birth really is and then to express that. This is called expressive individualism. That, that, that's the sin that, that is just so widely accepted as good. It's the evil that's called good that permeates our society. And no matter where you are or what way you're training your children or anything else, it's the water that we're all swimming in. We all absorb this idea that you must discover yourself and be authentic to it because that is good, because whatever is your basic nature from birth, that must be good. That's false. Your basic nature from birth is bad. Everybody's basic nature from birth is bad. What the Bible tells us here, so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is telling us right here that however it is that you were born, you need to be born again to be right with God. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven in the nature that you were born with. You cannot enter into God's presence by way of some sort of authenticity 
about your fleshly desires. What we have to do is we have to come to Christ and be united to him in faith and be forgiven. Another thing that this tells us, it tells us that when death comes, the death has sin as its cause. Now, that's confusing in some ways because you could say, well, does that mean that any time that anybody dies, that there's some specific sin that we can point to to say this sin is the reason that person died? No, there's not. Occasionally there is. If you get executed for murder, that's pretty clear, right? But the vast majority of the time, it's not like you can say, well, this person died because of sins X, X, and X. And that comes into brutal focus when we deal with the really hard question of a baby that would die. I remember the the first time several years ago when I taught on what this passage is teaching, the doctrine of original sin, the doctrine that we are all sinners from, from, from birth by nature, I had, a, uh, had someone come to me very well-meaning uh, afterward and say, you know, that was really hard what you said about um, babies going to hell on Sunday. And I said, I didn't say babies go to hell on Sunday. Let me make this, this as clear as I possibly can. When an infant dies, or you could put in the same category, somebody who has a severe intellectual disability, somebody who's not able to understand right and wrong, not able to understand the gospel. When they die, according to this, their death is related to sin, just as our death is related to sin. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they go to eternal punishment there. The reason I say that, let me just, I'm just going to read what I wrote because I don't want to say something wrong about this, okay? This is, a, this is a heavy topic. I think that when babies die, or others who aren't mentally capable of understanding things like sin and the gospel, I think that they are received into heaven by God's grace, purchased for them on the cross of Christ, and applied to them by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I use the words I think there is because there's not anything in Scripture that is super clear about this. But there are a few things in Scripture that I think would lead us to this conclusion, and some things in Scripture that have led a lot of other Bible teachers over the years to this same conclusion. Let me just tell you three of those reasons why, even though when a baby dies, it says here that it is because of sin, three reasons why I think that they're still going to heaven. First reason is, there's never a single place in Scripture where people are spiritually judged on the basis of their sin nature. They are spiritually judged on the actual sins that flow from that nature. I'll give you an example. Revelation 20, verse 12, it says, The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. You hear that? They're judged according to what they had done. The second reason is, There are places in Scripture where God shows mercy on small children who don't understand sin. One of those places is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. This is where God is is telling about the story of how most of the Israelites had died in the wilderness. There came a point when God's patience with their disobedience ran out. 
And he said, I'm going to let this nation wander here in the wilderness for 40 years until they die out and we have a new generation to go into the promised land. But what he says in Deuteronomy 139 is, as for your little ones, as for your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. You see here a whole nation that's guilty, a whole nation that is sentenced to experience this death in the wilderness, and yet he says, but your little children who are here today who don't understand right and wrong, I'm not going to count them guilty for what's been done here, and I'm going to take them into the promised land. A third reason is that there's at least one place in Scripture that it seems to say that a baby who dies actually went to heaven. And that's in 2 Samuel 12, 23, where David had lost his infant son who had died. And David says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Which is saying, he's gone. He's not coming back here, but one day I will go to him. You know where David's going? Heaven. I think that's saying that that baby was in heaven. Now, again, none of these things are super clear. They're not like knock it out of the park, home run. We have an exact statement in Scripture that babies who die go to heaven. But I do think we have a good indication there, putting those things together, that that's probably the case. And in fact, our church's founders here, the First Baptist Church of Matawan, they wrote that in to their Articles of Faith on October 22, 1850, the day that this church was founded one of those articles of faith was that babies who die in infancy go to heaven. They were very serious about stating that. Now, does that mean that babies who die in infancy are innocent? And the answer is no. The fact that there is death means that there is sin. Every single one of us, as I said just a second ago, we have Adam's sin imputed to us. We are sinful by nature. Humanity by nature is sinful and worthy of the wages of sin, which is death. So I think what's indicated in those scriptures is not that babies are innocent, but that God would save by his grace through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, by the blood poured out on the cross of Jesus, that God would save those who die in infancy or in some other situation where they're not able to understand the difference between right and wrong and understand what the gospel is. So, now, remember, it, it's, it's, not, it's not because they're innocent. It's because of God's grace. Because every single one of us was counted guilty in Adam. We, we've experienced that kind of thing before in various ways. I, I don't know if this ever happened to you in, a, uh, in, in school. When I was in high school, I was in this computer class. And, uh, you know, we were, we were great kids, well-behaved right? Sometimes. But I remember this one time when this kid who was, he was kind of the teacher's favorite kid. And, uh, and one day he took a little bit too much advantage of that. And she stepped out of the room for a second and he started running around the room and messing with people and hiding behind desks and stuff like that. She came back into the room. I think he was actually hiding at the point when she came back in. He tried to run around and like not get caught. Well, when she caught him, She didn't just punish him. She punished all of us. The idea was, it's not just Tim who did that. I'm not going to tell you his last name. (laughs) It's not just Tim who did that. This class was in sin together. 
And the, that's, that's what we have here, is we see because this one man sinned, death spread to all men because all sinned, or for that all men sinned on the basis that all were sinners. That's the boat we're in as humans. Sinful humanity, where we have a sin nature that works out in actual sins as well. We need to mourn over that original sin, but we need to rejoice in God's grace when we think about that. When we think about the fact that God would save sinners, when we think about how deep and dark and inescapable that sin is for us as humans, what amazing grace that is, that he would save a wretch like me, that Jesus would come and take on flesh, being born of a virgin so that he became the only human ever to not sin and to not be guilty of sin, and yet he went and he took the penalty for our sins. Ah, Jesus paid it all. Just let, let, when you think about that, when you think about our sin nature, just let that drive you to joy in Jesus at what he's done for us in his grace. The next thing it does in these verses is it connects sin and the law. It says in verse 13, We're going to speed up a little bit in these verses. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, which means there's no tally of it. There's there's no comparison of the life to the exact law when there's not a law there to compare it to. And yet, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What does it mean to be like the transgression of Adam? Well, it means having a rule that you broke. What did Adam do? Well, he had a very clear, specific rule from God. Do this, don't do that. If you do that, you're going to die. And he broke the rule. He had a clear law from God that he broke. And so when it says those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, it's talking about people who have never heard the word of God. This is talking about people who have never heard a word of the Bible, never heard a Christian preacher, maybe even never heard the name Jesus before, who don't know anything about God's written law, and yet what this is saying is that even they are sinners. Even they are sinners, and that's evidenced because death reigned from Adam to Moses. In that whole time of humanity before God's law got written down at Mount Sinai, where you had the Ten Commandments that were given, which are for all mankind, even before that, people died. Sin reigned. Death reigned. What this is showing us is that there's a law that's written on human hearts that everybody knows through nature and through our conscience. This was laid out in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Everybody knows that there's a God. Everybody knows that he has a righteous standard. And because people are born with our sin nature that we inherited from Adam, everybody sins against it. And everybody's liable to death. Uh, There's this idea sometimes, like you could go out into the woods and find some untouched person. Jean-Jacques Rousseau's noble savage. That, That if there were just somebody out there who were untouched by by the evils of humanity and and the oppressive systems of family and government and all kinds of things that would drive us into the dirt, that if there were just somebody who could get out in the woods by themselves and, and live their own life, that that would be a good person. You know the reality? 
If you go out, there are still places in the world that are isolated like this. There's some island tribes out in the Indian Ocean that by law, nobody's allowed to make contact with them. Some missionaries have attempted it before. You go out there and you know what you find? You find people killing each other. You find sin. You find death reigning. It's everywhere. It's over those from Adam to Moses. It's over those from Moses to Jesus. It's over those from Jesus to now. It just is all over the world. It is this death. Why is that happening? Well, because we, we have Adam's nature imputed to us. We inherited Adam's nature. Adam's sin is imputed to us, and it works out in actual sin in our lives. Here's what it said back in Romans 1, verse 32. This is talking about those people out on the island who've never heard the word of God. It says, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Everybody knows something about this, and they know that death is what's deserved for it. It says in Romans 2.14, when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, whether conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. We know this. I've said this before. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. Has anybody in this room ever taught your children how to lie? You don't have to do that. They figure it out. And you know, the funny thing is that when they figure it out, you also don't have to tell them that it was wrong. Now, you should tell them that it was wrong, and you should tell them that Jesus died for sins like that, and that God forgives sins like that. But you can tell they already know it's wrong. The moment that they figure out how to tell you something that's not true, it is all over their face that they know they shouldn't be saying it, but they're saying it anyway. People are sinful. Whether they have the law written down and explained to them or not, it plays out, and that's why death reigns from Adam to Moses. What should we do with that? Well, one thing is we should take God's law seriously. We have a huge advantage here, guys. We have our Bibles right here. We have our Bibles right here. We know exactly what it is that God has said to do and not to do. And there's, you know, those, those few little questions here and there that you think of, uh, you know, is it okay to lie if the Nazis are knocking on my door and asking if I'm hiding anyone Jewish in my house? Guys, part of the reason people ask those questions so often is because they want to avoid the clear things that are written here. We have this stuff that's so obvious written out for us. Here is what God wants. Here's what God says to do. Here's what God says not to do. That's God's law, and it's good. And we need to take it seriously. And believer, if you've been redeemed by Christ, oh, you should love the law of God. Not, not be under it like it's going to crush you, because it's not anymore. But to love what God has said to do. And so when we look and we say, indeed, sin is not counted where there is no law, well, we have the law. And what, what a blessing to have it laid out for us so clearly in front of us. Take God's law seriously. Also, take your conscience seriously. If God's written that conscience on all mankind where they know that they're sinning, God, listen to your conscience. Now, if you have to rank, do I put my conscience first or do I put the Bible first? Put the Bible first. Your feelings can be mistaken. Your conscience can be seared. You can not feel bad about something that God says is bad, all right? 
But when your conscience is pricking you, take that as something from God to listen to. Guys, take death seriously. Take death seriously. This is one of the things that you see happening in our world right now is, is to take death unseriously. As more and more people are moving away from belief in the gospel and away from traditional religion of various kinds, one of the things that you see happening is, is funerals being turned into like jazz parties and stuff. <sighs> Guys, death is serious. Don't stand up at a funeral and talk about how fun it was to sin with the person who's deceased. Don't, don't say to yourself, well, I'll just, you know, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen when I die. That'll come when it comes. I'm just going to live it up for the moment right now. That, that, that's treating Jesus like he never came. We, we need to take God's law seriously. We need to take our conscience seriously. We need to take death seriously. And we need to take life seriously. These things that we're doing in life, they actually matter. And it actually matters that we follow after God, that we would love God, and that we do what he says. And there's good news for us, sinners. It's good news. It's that there's a new Adam coming. There's a new Adam who has come. This is the very last part of verse 14. The transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. A type of the one who was to come. Now, that's getting at a whole lot of stuff that we're going to get at more as we go through this last section of Romans 5. But when it says type, you know what that's saying? It's saying that there was something about Adam that was meant by God to foreshadow Jesus. Now, does that mean that Jesus is unholy like Adam? No. What it means is that Adam's sin was shaped in such a way as to point us to the shape of Jesus' righteousness. That the death that came through Adam was shaped in such a way to point us to the shape of the life that comes in Jesus. That the fact that Adam was the head of all humanity points us to the fact that Jesus is the head of redeemed humanity. So that as we, we look at Adam's sin, we can say all of us inherited that sin and all of us need to receive the righteousness of Christ. Adam's sin was imputed to us. We need Jesus' righteousness to be counted as ours. Adam's death came to us. We need Jesus' resurrection life to come to us. Adam was our head we were born into the great mass of humanity. We need Jesus to be our head. We need to be there with him as our prophet, priest, and king for all eternity, not with those who would be suffering eternally in eternal death, but for those who, even though we may die, yet shall he live, says Jesus, for us who trust in Christ. When I was in... in when I was a college student, I went to a whole lot of uh, punk rock and hardcore and indie rock shows just all the time. It was, uh, you know, it was just what I did. And one time I got to get into a music festival because I was playing with the band. Now, this band that I played with, it's not as cool as it sounds, all right? I played a violin part. And I played for 60 seconds. 
Okay. I did exactly four shows with this band. But boy, what a, what a difference that was, where I got to go to the music festival with the band. When, when I'd gone to all these, these things before, you know, you go in and you're kind of hustled in and everybody's sweaty and, and it smells bad in there and, and you stand around and you get tired and it's, you know, you like the music, but you're also kind of thinking, I'm going to be deaf by the time I'm 30. And, um, you know, it's good and it's not good at the same time. But when I went in with the band, we know what happened? I didn't have to pay. I got in for free. And they fed me dinner. And when I had dinner, I got to hang around not just with the band that I was playing with, but with all the bands who were there. And boy, I mean, I felt kind of cool. There was just this, you know, finally I got to come up out of the crowd and go on the stage. And boy, that's a whole different feeling, right? There's a big difference between being in the crowd and being in the band. And you know what? There's a much bigger difference between being in Adam and being in Christ. Mm. Jesus would reach down so much further than a stage is to the crowd. He would reach down from heaven to hell to take us out. He has come in the flesh to die in the likeness of sinful man so that we could live, Uh, so we could go from being in Adam to being in Christ. What do you do? Unbeliever, be united to Christ. Come to faith in Jesus. Stop being just part of the mass of sinful humanity. Stop being united to Adam. Repent of your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have eternal life. Come to Jesus. And believer, you know what you can do because of this? Be assured of your salvation in Christ. This is a passage about assurance. Even though we were so deeply lost in our sin that we were dead in the trespasses that we once walked in, you've been made alive together with Christ. Rejoice in that. Be be happy about that. Be assured of that. I'm going to close with a verse that Steve Borcher quoted in Sunday School this morning. It says this in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. We, We were lost. Some of us knew we were lost. Others didn't. But we were lost. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And I thank you that Christ has come to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Father, we we pray that uh, if there are any who are still lost in their sins right now, united to Adam, I pray that you'd bring them to Jesus, that they'd be born again. God, we pray for, uh, for us who know Christ to just rejoice and have assurance that there's therefore now no condemnation, that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.